Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 165. Uh, it's a mini episode with uh, our returning guest, Guy Winch, and uh, our topic is low self-esteem. Uh, let's get right to it. I'm here with Guy Winch, uh, who's a PhD and has a book out called Emotional First Aid, and you have some great tools and tips for how to deal with uh, common issues that people have. Let's talk about low self-esteem. Yes, well, that's an epidemic, uh, really. Um, and it's an epidemic because it's one of those things that the people who have higher self-esteem uh, are very good at keeping it up, and the people who have low self-esteem are even better at keeping it low. So, for example, research tells us that people with low self-esteem uh, are actually really resistant to compliments, authentic ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, when their partners tell them something good, oh, you know, you were very considerate, it's very nice the way you did this, they bristle. It makes them uncomfortable. Because if their self-esteem is low, that seems to them that, oh, now there's an expectation, which I'm not, never going to meet, so that just made me, now there's pressure, I'd rather I didn't hear that in the first place. Or they have an ul- ulterior motive. Oh, yes, certainly, or, or what do they want from me? The thing about low self-esteem is that um, it's something we really have to look at um, as something that we really have to nourish. There's research that shows, and in my book I call low self-esteem our emotional immune system is what self-esteem is. And when our self-esteem is low, our emotional immune system is low. And when our self-esteem is high, we are more resilient uh, in, uh, when we encounter rejection, failure, anxiety, stress, even in some studies, giving people small boosts to their self-esteem and then putting them through certain situations like that, they deal much better when you give them a small boost to their self-esteem. So our self-esteem is like an emotional immune system. It's like the armor that we wear to the battle of life. We want to strengthen that armor. And I really would urge people to think of their self-esteem like body armor that they wear to life. You would never want to poke holes in that armor. So whenever you have this internal dialogue in your head that's negative and self 
self-deprecating and self-critical and self-blaming, realize you are poking holes in your armor. As maybe it feels very real to you, maybe it is. You don't need to play that real in your head because you are weakening yourself uh, unnecessarily. Something I find myself doing and the regular listeners know this, is putting myself down. And I was thinking about it this morning, and I thought, you know, one of the reasons I think I do that is because I want to do it before you do it, because it feels less shameful for me to get it out of the way before you can do it, and then I feel stupid. If the other person were to do it. Yes. And how do you feel when you do it? Less stupid? Yes, uh, and and a kind of insincere way uh, this is in hindsight an insincere way of being quote unquote humble mm. which is kind of manipulative um it i don't see it as as it being manipulative when i'm doing it but the very act that i'm trying to duck my head down to not get criticized is manipulative well, yes. But, uh, but, Am I being I too think, hard on myself? I think that's too harsh. <laughs> okay. I really do. Because really, who are you manipulating there? The other person so they don't criticize you? I mean, you're not harming the other person. To me, manipulation is something that actually disadvantages or harms another oh, person. Okay. You're not doing that. So okay. I think it's too harsh. But yes, no, I, I, I listen to your podcast regularly. I am, I am aware of your um, <laughs> habits. Um, I'm saying that because I think it's a good image to keep in mind. You know? And I understand in certain situations, if you put it out there first then you won't be vulnerable if the other person puts it out there. The, it works in that sense, except that the price you pay is that the next time you feel even more vulnerable because you're reinforcing the message. So it's a short-term gain, perhaps, of maybe you feel a little bit more resilient in the moment. You're going to feel much less resilient the next day when you meet the next person. So it's not a great gambit um, in that sense. Um, it, and the other thing that, you know, that's the... the, the uh, uh, problem uh, with, with doing that with a negative self-criticism is that it really uh, reinforces that the perception that, you know, I, I you know, it, it, it kind of is like cutting our legs out from under us when we are trying to get somewhere. It, it doesn't serve a purpose. Maybe that one in some way sometimes, but no, it doesn't, you know, it, it's not worthwhile it in the long term. It feels safe to me because I feel as if um, and I know this is something I need to work on. It feels as if um, if I'm being too confident, I risk being uh, cocky and opening myself up for being hurt. So it's better to retreat back to this place where I know I'm not in danger of being full of grandiosity and, and self-delusion, but clearly I'm going too far on the on the other side but right. it it feels safe and it feels real to me and when i feel like i've overstepped my boundaries or whatever you want to call it where, where i've be puffed myself up too much and somebody's going to think oh that guy's kind of full of himself um i i can literally feel a physical wave of shame and fear rise up through my body. Almost feels like my face is yes. flush. And I've heard you say that before. Look, the thing is, a lot of the time it's a false dichotomy. In other words, it's not that the opposite of being self-deprecating is being arrogant. There is a very big range 
that those there's a big spectrum those two things are on and there's a big there's a lot of stations between self-deprecating until you get to arrogant number one and you don't need to hit arrogant you can just go up a little bit from the self-deprecating and get to some kind of medium number number one but number two the question is if you're trying to work on your self-esteem can you allow yourself to err on the side of arrogance if it does happen. Can you have self-compassion and allow yourself to come off maybe sounding a little too full of yourself in the service of trying to work on your self-esteem? Can you forgive yourself for that if that does happen? I suppose I could do that consciously because I am sometimes arrogant but unaware uh, of it and then beat myself up afterwards or maybe I'm just perceiving myself as arrogant but I have been called arrogant many times in the past mostly before I got uh, sober but um, I suppose that also I would imagine most people who've been accused of being arrogant have incredibly low self-esteem and it's a coping mechanism of of trying to compensate Sometimes, but actually sometimes what it is, is that people are used to them a certain way and them hitting the normal range, which is not arrogant, seems to the other person like now they're arrogant because they're usually so self-effacing. So it, it could also be like a misjudgment on the other people's part because they're not used to seeing them actually just feel okay about themselves. So it could come off, you know, it could, I get sometimes people... Once I remember I was when I was new to the city and somebody said, oh, you know, I heard somebody said, well, that guy's really pompous. And I remember I'd, I never exchanged even a word with that person. But they heard me speak. They heard I have an accent. And they're like, oh, his accent is very pompous. Well, I can't <laughs> control my accent. It is what it is. I'm not, it's, I'm not responsible for it, you know. But, but that was their perception. Well, well, what are you going to do? You know, I can't, I can't change that. I felt very upset by it. I felt judged and I felt embarrassed by it. But I was able to convince myself that, well... Actually, there's not much I can do about that one. So it more them, you know, in some kind of way. But look, the self-compassion thing is very important when it comes to self-esteem. And we're working on our self-esteem. Um, you know, when you spoke about imperfection another time, then we said if you're trying to work on perfectionism, you have to allow imperfections and even strive for them. And when you're working on self-esteem, you have to allow for mistakes and even strive for them. When you're trying to correct something upwards, you can't just hit the gauge exactly where you want it to be. You might overshoot a couple of times. But look at it as a process in which you will find your equilibrium at a higher point and forgive those overshoots. Because really, what's the worst thing that can happen? there so somebody thought you were arrogant so so really so what so are they that important is their opinion that important anyone who really knows you knows you're not anyone who really knows you knows you're working on these things so somebody who doesn't know you less important what they think you know you have to reason that out and realize that when you're working on something like self-esteem any kind of correction you know is going to involve some misshoots and they have to be okay in the service of the larger goal. And you know, a thought that just occurred to me is it's possible that I'm an unarrogant person who has moments of arrogance, and that's that's human. Yes, let's say that's true. So, all in all, you're a good person, all in all. You know, and again, moments of arrogance, and I want to define it even more specifically. The thing that you don't like about arrogance, that most people don't like about arrogance, is that it usually connotes to us some kind of attitude about other people in which we see other people as less worthy. That's our association to arrogance. That if somebody's arrogant, they think they're better than other people. And in fact, that's probably not something you think, even in your moments of quote-unquote 
arrogance. I don't think you're someone, just for my listening, um, who thinks of himself or thinks of others as less worthy than you. Even if you came across as arrogant or felt it for a moment, it wouldn't be with that caveat of and other people are less worthy. So that's the thing. That's the ingredient about arrogance that most rubs us the wrong way. And it's probably going to be absent even in your moment. Of arrogance, and you know, it just occurred to me that the person that that called me arrogant that is stuck with me the most, although my mom used to call call me arrogant all the time, um, was a club booker who I knew was f- fucking uh, people that he was taking ninety a ninety percent commission on these mm-hmm. private gigs yeah. and giving the performer ten percent of the right. money, and he asked me to do this ridiculous gig where it was like three in the morning it was an after prom with drunk teenagers you know it was just the shittiest gig on paper for the shittiest money that you can imagine and i didn't cut it down i just said no i you know i'm 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 not interested and i heard back from him that he was saying i had an arrogant little attitude and as i as i think back to that one now i'm like why was i blaming myself this guy was a greedy dick and i took the the blame for it because he didn't want to see his part in in that but i suppose it 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 recalled some of that childhood hurt of of having you know being called arrogant by by my mom uh, right and i think and even with that there's probably other motivations that you know were uh, present in the picture on your mom's part uh, rather than just actually being concerned that her child might be you oh, know, yeah. a little too full of himself. Oh, yeah, there was some, definitely some, yes. some other issues. Exactly. So, so the point is that that's what most people are concerned about. I don't want to come across as arrogant, but really it's not as cocky, but it, but it doesn't – that ingredient of that of like you know seeing others in a lesser light doesn't usually uh, come into it so it's actually not that bad a thing if you really think about it and it's a necessary evil again you want to adjust upwards so you have to allow yourself uh, permission to overshoot so what are some tips for people who deal with low self-esteem so look one of the interesting things is one of the most popular uh, techniques people use for uh, self-esteem is positive affirmations Right, you know, the uh, I'm I'm uh, attractive, and I'm gonna find great love, and I'm I'm gonna be a great success, and I'm very worthy, and every day will get better and better, and you know, and you you see them in refrigerator magnets, and on calendars, and in the chicken soup books, and at, sometimes at the bottom of emails, which I find annoying, but still, the thing is that when we look at the research. And say, okay, so there's research done on positive affirmations. What does it tell us? It tells us that it really does help, but only one group of people. And the people that it really helps are people with high self esteem. (laughs) 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 And unfortunately, people with low self esteem, it makes them feel worse. Really? Yes. And and that's just fine. We find that over and over again. And it's just so ironic and unfortunate. But that's the case. Now, why is that the case? Because, you know, the, the science of persuasion tells us that if a statement falls within our belief system, we will accept it. But if it falls too outside our belief system, we will reject it. And when you're feeling really unattractive and really unpopular and really unloved and you're looking in the mirror and telling yourself that you're really attractive and you're really (laughs) popular and you're really loved, you're not going to buy it. You're actually going to reject it and remind yourself that that's not how you feel. Maybe even feel that you're also sappy. 
Well, yeah. Or yes, or that, <laughs> yeah, spinach on your teeth, whatever. But my, my point is, it's the people that actually feel attractive that when they look at the mirror and go, I'm attractive. Well, yeah, I kind of am attractive. You know, they're, they're the ones who don't need it, you know? And so that's the irony of positive affirmations. The people who, who need them most are the people least likely to be helped by them and actually more likely to be harmed by Will them. Will they come to a point as their self-esteem increases where they begin to help? Positive affirmations, yes, but then how do you get there without them? So the thing is, there's a different kind of affirmation that you should do, and it's not the generic positive affirmations. If it has to fall within your belief system, it has to be self-generated. So, for example, if you're doing an affirmation, and they have to be domain-specific, are you going to affirm your value as a dating partner or as a friend or as an employee or as a husband or as a father, whatever it is. I mean, choose the domain in which you're trying to, to uh, boost your self-esteem. And here's the exercise. So get specific. You have to be specific. So let's say dating. Just, just uh, choose that one. Um, make a list, as exhaustive as you can, of qualities you actually know you do have that you know are valuable in the dating sphere. So, for example, you know that you're loyal. You know that you're a good listener. You know that you're very supportive. You know that you're uh, a great cook, for example. You know that you are very emotionally validating. You know that you're, uh, you're really easygoing on vacations, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Make, mm -hmm. a, make as exhaustive a list as you possibly can of things you know that actually are valuable in a dating, in a relationship arena. Choose one of them and write a brief essay, one to two paragraphs, about why that quality is important, how you've manifested it, in the past, how you might manifest it in the future, and how it's been found valuable, or might be find value, found valuable, by relationship partners. So two paragraphs of an essay. And do that once a day. Do that before you go out on your date. Writing the same thing the second time, or a different thing Choose the second Choose a different time. quality. Oh, okay. So pick something else. Yes. And... Go through the list. People, can, people usually say to me, oh, I can't think of anything. And by the time we're done, they've thought of 25 things. So make a long list, you know. Um, if you need to never, never predict how you think it's going to be written out and whether or not you'll be able to come up with something. Ne but start with a list, you know. Yeah. I mean, and again, I say to people, well, are you, are you loyal when you're in relationships? Yeah, well, I'm loyal. Well, are you a good listener? Yeah, I'm kind of a good listener. Are you considerate on birthdays and those kind of things? Yeah, I'm a, are you a good gift giver? Are you, I mean, you can just come up with so many of them. And then... Write one every day, you know. Um, that is affirming an aspect of yourself that you won't reject. It's reminding yourself of what you're bringing to the table. I love Real that. stuff. Yeah. Your tips are so practical and make such perfect sense. And yet, I don't know if I'm speaking for the listener, but for myself, I, I forget so many of these things or they've never even occurred to me. And I've been in therapy and support groups for 10 years. There is always so much to learn. And on a certain level, that's depressing. And on a certain level, it's exciting. Well, look, part of the idea of writing a book, and this is why I wrote the book, is I really did think of it as a psychological medicine cabinet. The same way you have it in your medicine cabinet or your drawer, keep the book in your drawer. When you feel something happens, go to the book, look it up. You don't have to memorize it, you know. Um, the, the thing sometimes people say to me, and I want to warn listeners of this, is people will say to me about this uh, self-affirmation exercise. They'll say, oh, I tried it. It didn't work. And I'll say, well, did you make the list? Did you write out the essay? Well, yeah, in my head. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> to me, that's like saying I was really hungry. 
and I thought of all the food I had in my fridge and how I could make it, but now I'm still hungry. Well, because you didn't eat it. So actually, you know, the listing, making that list is like preparing the food, and writing the essay is like eating the food. The writing is how we absorb the psychological message. You can't do that in your head. You actually have to figure it out, process it in your brain, go from the thinking area to the writing areas of your brain. When you think about what's involved, different areas of your brain are responsible for generating that list, for generating the memories, for generating the examples, for putting them down on paper. You're activating all kinds of areas of your brain. It's how you're going to absorb that message. You must do the writing. I'm so glad you said that. Um, I've always been amazed by the um, illumination and, and often the catharsis of uh, of writing, literally feeling my body change sometimes when I write things out and feeling often a sense of peace and, and hope that wasn't there five or ten minutes earlier. Right. It's a powerful tool, and psychologically speaking, as you said, it's one of the best ways we absorb psychological messages. Mm-hmm. And again, how long does it take to write a two-paragraph essay? It's 10 minutes? It's 15 minutes? This is your self-esteem. This is your emotional immune system, the armor that you wear. Invest the 15 minutes. What about the person whose self-esteem is so low, they're having trouble bringing themselves to do that? Is there is there any tip for a self-esteem that... And, and just caught in that, you know, being frozen? Or is, is that really kind of the, the most basic one that they just need to will themselves to, to do that? Well, A, they should, but here's, an, here's something that might help them. So if you really have trouble bringing yourself to do it because you just, just can't think of yourself in that way, you just, it just, you're feeling so bad you don't want to think of yourself in a good way, do this little trick. Imagine that your friend was feeling really bad about themselves and you wanted to remind your friend of their value, of their worth. Make the list as if it's about your friend. Write the essay as if you're writing it about your friend. And when you're finished, put it aside for 24 hours. And 24 hours later, read it as if it's about you. So separate the writing and the reading. Write it for a friend because most people, even when they're feeling extraordinarily crappy about themselves, will go there for a friend, will be supportive for a friend, will make that effort for a friend. So do it as if for a friend. Put it aside and then read it as if it's about you, which it is. What are, what are some other tips for uh, dealing with low self-esteem? So I mentioned this issue of self-compassion. Self-compassion is a very, very important uh, thing because the idea with self-compassion is that we do indeed... Um, exhibit much more compassion when our self-esteem is low to others than we do to ourselves. We have a wicked double standard when our <laughs> self-esteem is low. Wicked. And we're kind of aware of it, but it's when we flesh it out that we are stunned by how much we're aware of it. We will say things to ourselves that I sometimes say to people, let, and people will say that to me in a session. They'll say, oh, and then when, I, when the date doesn't call me back, I go through that thing in my head where I tell myself I'm this, I'm this. I have them write it out. And then I have them tell me who their best friend is or if they have kids. And I would say, I want you to imagine reading that to your kid about that kid. Would you say to your child, I'm a pathetic, pathetic loser, idiot who no one will want to date, and they're horrified by that thought of saying that to, certainly to a child, certainly to a friend. It would seem that it seems the most cruel. They would never, ever think of doing that. Well, then why would you do it to yourself? 
really. I think because people think that they're disciplining themselves, that it's going to improve them, and it's such a sick notion. And I would love to, and when people say that to me, I say, do explain to me how that works. <laughs> I would love to hear how in what way that's going to improve you. It's going to keep me humble. And I always say to them, humble, not your problem. You don't have a problem of being too arrogant. I always go back to that. I'm like, and I always say to them, you know, as a therapist, I'll say, if I hear you sounding too arrogant, I promise you, I will tell you to bring it down a notch. <laughs> Not my biggest fear when I think of you, of you being an asshole, dick, arrogant schmuck. Not what I worry about. You must be a great therapist. You, you have such a good sense of humor and you're so practical and easy to talk to. Um, your your clients are, are very lucky. Oh, thank you very much. I was just testing you to see if you were going to deflect it with low self-esteem. No, you see. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm modeling what I'm preaching. No, I did I did genuinely, <laughs> to genuinely mean that. Uh, any other tips for uh, low self-esteem? I would start with those because that's a project, low self-esteem. That's not a quick fix. That's something you work on. You really create awareness about in your own mind. You really have to work on that for yourself. And these things do work. In other words, you know, we know when you know, we have people do the self-affirmation exercise, we can measure their self-esteem right afterwards. We see it gives it a boost. We see that when we put them through a situation that's anxiety-provoking, they respond in a much more resilient way uh, than they would. We know that self-compassion uh, is very effective for people when they do those kinds of exercises of imagining what they would say to a friend and then saying that to themselves with that same kind of compassion. We know that really makes them feel uh, better about themselves. It, it really makes them more resilient. So again, to me, the most important thing with self-esteem, think of it as your emotional immune system, as your armor, and think of it that you need to strengthen it. Do not poke holes in your armor. And I would, and I love that. And the other thing that I would add, because it's worked for me, um, is support groups, because they loved me until I could begin to love myself. And I do have to say, I do love myself. Um, I have moments and periods of backsliding where um, I can get into a funk, but I I rise out of it on on an almost daily basis. And for the most part, I live in a place where where I do love myself. Um, it's the it's the flashes of it that disturb me and and have me backsliding but it was a result of seeing how other people viewed me and beginning to it beginning to sink in that they couldn't possibly be lying to me on such a consistent basis and seeing that love in their eyes and feeling it through their actions um that's what i've gotten from a support group and it's been it's been life changing for me. Yes, I'm all for support groups. They're very important for that reason and others. Guy Winch, thank you so much. Thank you. Love me some Guy Winch, and uh, from the feedback I'm getting uh, from you guys, you uh, you love you some Guy too. Um, I'm going to read three surveys, and uh, the first one, uh, and they and they all have to do with low self esteem. This first one uh, is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by. Uh, a woman who calls herself gir that girl over there. She's straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, I thought this one was interesting because 99.9% .9 of the ones that people check that box for uh, to 
us listeners, um, it, it almost always is like, oh, no, that's clearly sexual abuse. But this is one that I, I, I do have to say, I don't know if that I don't know if that counts. It, it, this one doesn't sound like it to me. She writes, when I was around 13 or 14 years old and visiting my father, I was sitting writing a letter to a friend of mine. Dad came in a room to say hi to me, I guess. And he started rubbing my shoulders and back unsolicited and ended up sort of grazing his fingers along my lower back. And then he just left the room. I've never told anybody about this, but it seriously creeped me out. I don't recall any other instances of weirdness. I hope it's just a matter of there not being any. Not that I just can't remember. Um, yeah, that... Uh, I don't know. That's uh, I'd be interested to know what you guys uh, thought of that, but it didn't. I think it's possible for something to, like a one-time thing, to kind of creep us out, but for it have to have been innocent on that other person's part. If there was a pattern of it, I would I would say, yeah, that uh, your your feeling was probably. Um, Right on. Anyway, uh, she has been emotionally abused. She writes, shitty boyfriend never pays compliments or acknowledges my physical appearance at all. Once I called him on saying things about other girls, but not me. And he said, but if I said things like that to you, you'd get self-esteem and leave me for someone else. I looked at him horrified and said it was the worst thing anyone's ever said to me and told him, no, when he asked if he could take it back. He makes excuses not to have sex, so I've quit asking. I'm not some horrible troll-looking person. I'm just an average girl, and others find me attractive, and it's re it really hurts what confidence I might have had. He shrugs off my worries and anxieties and makes fun of me later for them. Any positive experiences with your abuser? He can be really sweet and funny sometimes, which puts me on a never-ending seesaw of feelings about him. Uh, darkest thoughts, uh, minor suicide thoughts like what would it be like to walk out in front of a car? Um, darkest secrets, all I can think of is maybe stealing things from work in the past and then the above thing with my dad. Um, sexual fantasies most powerful to you? Um, I don't think that that has anything to do with uh, our topic. Uh, what would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my boyfriend all the issues I have with him and our relationship and how selfish he is and how he's losing me because he's basically a child in an adult's body. And then I'm sorry your mother left you, but I can't be that for you and you need to learn how to take care of yourself. Wow, that's awesome. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for to be in a good place financially? If you shared these things with others, um, the things I'd like to say to my boyfriend, I've vented about them to friends before, but to tell him would crush him. And even though he's been mean to me on several occasions, I have a hard time being mean to him. How do you feel after writing these things down? About the same, really. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, yeah, I think I think the thing to look at in that relationship with him is what do you what do you have control over and what don't you have control over and the things that leap out to me are the work that you can do on yourself and the boundaries you can you can set because you can't control whether or not somebody treats you like shit but you can control whether or not you stand there and take it and whether you allow them to keep being in your in your life hold on swig of water but thank you for sharing that this is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself D. Roca, Roca Araka. He is straight in his 20s. What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? I would want people to say that I was a good person. I want them to say that I was hardworking, respectful, wise, and talented. 
How does writing that make you feel? It makes me feel like I'm afraid to compliment myself and hesitant to acknowledge good traits in myself. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I wouldn't use it. Life is already complicated enough. I'm supposed to feel happy about life, but I don't. I feel anxious and depressed. My brain is constantly setting up problem scenarios for myself, and it is exhausting. How does it make you feel to write that out? Good. You think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Not at all. I just don't think that I'm very good at dealing with it. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Yes. Thank you so much for for sharing that, Raka. Raka, Roka. Whatever you want to call yourself. Either way, it's good. And uh, this last survey is from Shame and Secrets, filled out by a, a woman who calls herself Long Shanks. She is straight in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, never been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um, when I was about 15 or so, I don't think that, that one is... Uh, some guy tried to feel her up at a, at a football game in high school, but she had a big puffy coat on. Um, more recently, my stepfather has started making sexual advances towards me. Uh, definitely sexual abuse. Uh, even if he never touched you, uh, making an advance at a child, especially a child you're a caregiver of, is clearly sexual abuse. Uh, he says he will pay me to walk through the living room in a bra or to take a shower with him. I haven't told anyone this. I just just keep telling my boyfriend that I want to move out. Uh, I guess she still lives with her stepdad, and he doesn't understand the urgency. But my stepdad did this kind of thing when I was 14 as well and has touched my breast. So all I can do is try to avoid him, which is hard when I work with him, and he is always the only person home. Oh, I'm, my heart goes out to you. That it must be a prison. Um, you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Been emotionally abused. A few people in my life have been this way with me, and it makes it so hard to trust. The first person has been my dad. Uh, through much of my life, my parents would fight and use my sisters and me to get the fights uh, to each other now that they have been divorced almost eight years. Oh, I fucking hate it when parents, divorced parents use their kids as pawns. While at the same time, my dad acts like nothing is wrong, and he loves me. Um... God, I'd love to hear somebody say to their kid, well, you say you love me, then why do you use me as a pawn to make mom feel bad? Uh, It was really bad when I moved out to live with my mom. He kept yelling at me how I was only using him for his money like everyone else. Fights like that make it hard to be around him him now, even when he has calmed down more. Um, The other was my ex-boyfriend. He was my first everything. When we were first intimate, I thought I would marry this man. Yeah, I was raised Catholic, stupid me. But the week after we had sex, he called me and dumped me over the phone. I didn't have much interest in sex before, and after that, it has been even harder, even though I love my current boyfriend of three years very much. Any positive experiences with your abusers? All my memories of my dad are when I was little. Sure, he wasn't around since he was a workaholic, but he was great. Uh, Then he was my hero. Obviously, it hurts compared with now. As I'm typing this, I'm just bawling. So my feelings are very complicated. I no longer speak with my ex. Darkest thoughts. I drive a lot to school, to work, and I think about crashing my car all the time. Uh, what it would feel like. Boy, the the there's so many of us that have that fantasy about you know turning into the light pole or driving off the cliff. Uh, I would hate to see what our uh, our fantasy insurance rates would look like if we all acted on that that was so not worth stopping to, to 
<laughs> we checked. I want to take that back. Um, do, 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 do. What would it feel like to just smash my car into the median in the road? I also think about just getting the balls to end all the pain I feel. Uh, I could never do it, but I think of what people would do if I was dead. Who would care the most? That my boyfriend would be the only one who would notice because I wouldn't be in bed when he came home. I feel feel terrible thinking about that. When I started counseling, I was very specific about how I never thought about killing myself. Um, yet here I am doing it all the time after being away from counseling for over winter break. Well, you know what I'm going to say about that and get to back to fucking counseling. Darkest Secrets. I mentioned above about my stepdad saying he would pay me for sexual things. Recently, I did flash my tits to him for the money in his pocket. I haven't told anyone. Uh, I haven't told anyone I did that for only $21. And having been raised Catholic and just believing in being true to the person you are with, I just think of what a slut I am. That that has nothing to, to do with slutty or not slutty. This is about low self-esteem and thinking that, that, you know, that that's how, that it's okay for somebody to treat you that way and that, and that it's, it's okay for you to treat yourself that way. Um, I betrayed my boyfriend for nothing while living with him and my stepdad in the same house. My mom has no clue either. She would hate me if she ever knew. Um, I just want to give you a hug. Uh, sexual fantasies. I don't think we need to go into sexual fantasies. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Treat me like I am a person. I think so much about making other people happy, but no one thinks about how their choices affect other people. I love you, but do you love anyone enough to consider them? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could control my emotions. If I have to cry, I can't hold it in. If I'm angry, I have to let it out. I can't be the adult I want to be if I can't even control my body. It's more like living in a trap than a human body. You know, I think if you found some people, a network of support that talked about emotional stuff, then you could find a, a place to let those feelings out, and then they wouldn't come out in front of people who can't handle it. Um have you shared these things with others? I've shared a little with my counselor, but not to that level. I go to a school student counselor, and it's a different person every semester, so we weren't able to get that deep. I was just afraid to open up at first, and I didn't want her to think I was so messed up that no one could help me. I don't think any therapist or counselor is ever going to say this person's so messed up that nobody could help them. And I encourage you in that first session to let it all hang out. Maybe bring this survey in, print it out, bring it in and just read the whole thing to them. How do you feel after writing this down? I just feel so sad. I just can't stop crying as I look at it and think how sad all these things sound. Uh, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Try to take everything one day at a time. If you can't get through one day, if you can get through one day, you can get through one more. Well, that's so true that's so true and um i hope you can get to a place where you can love yourself um as much as you know i hope you can feel the positive feelings for yourself that we feel from reading that survey about you because i think everybody um probably feels like me that they're touched by your honesty and your vulnerability in that survey and um i just want to send you a hug and I want to end it with uh, doing the thing that that, that Guy suggested. Uh, as I was editing this episode together, I thought, well, why don't I try writing down the qualities that I have as a friend? 
and um, as uncomfortable as it is to read it out loud, um, I'm going to do it. Uh, qualities I have as a friend. I'm compassionate. I give good hugs. I have a good sense of when they want me to just listen and not give advice. Uh, I can help them to laugh when they need it. I readily share my flaws, shames, and mistakes. Um, if I feel it, I tell them that I love them. Um, in other words, if it's a person that I love. Um, I'm good at diplomatic, diplomatically setting or enforcing boundaries without shaming them. I am good at finding honest ways to compliment them. I don't bullshit them. I don't make it all about me. I don't tolerate them making it all about them. I'm good at finding honest ways to help them understand an opposing viewpoint. And finally, I'm good at looking into their eyes and letting them know I see, hear, and feel them. That wasn't as uncomfortable as I thought it was going to be. Wow. I thought I thought right now I'd be throwing up into a bucket, and I'm not. Um, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode. Uh, I know I got a lot out of... Uh, all the stuff that Gaia has suggested, but especially this one about uh, about low self-esteem. I think it's a really important topic for, for all of us. And um, glad you guys are here doing this, uh, doing this thing with me. It's nice. It's nice to not have to do it alone. And I hope you know you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 